I think it's not it's not by uh, a coincidence that that many of us think that 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 uh, leaving academia is a failure if you didn't succeed to to get an academic position is a failure. I think it's sort of built in into, into the system. And I think this is what we're really trying to change with academia is that it's just a different career choice. And sometimes that c- different career choice is better for yourself, is better for your family, is better for the world. it's it's better for patients. it's I'm not saying you shouldn't stay in academia, right? Academia is very important. Basic research is critical for our science to move forward. And people that are interested in it and sort of care about it, they should go to this route. But all other routes are are so important. It's crazy that we we need to t- to even talk about it, but we do because it's it's still in there. I think it's sort of built into the system. if If we do something with macadamia, I think this is this is what we need to change with macadamia. Hi there. Welcome back for another episode of Macadamia Podcast. where Ofer Rizal Barnea and Lena Hkovic get together with the researcher to explore the different ways science and scientific career can be developed outside of academia. I'm Estherina Trachtenberg and I will be hosting this special episode. Why? Well, Macademia is celebrating its first birthday and it is a great opportunity to celebrate by learning more about Ofer and Lena and um, the Macademia podcast. Hi, Ofer. Hi, Lena. Hello. Hi, Sterina. It's so great to have you here. <laughs> Indeed. It's great to be here. Um, uh, really, thanks for this opportunity um, to join your fantas- fantastic podcast. It brings a fresh viewpoint of bridge between the academic world and the industry. You really take this niche to a new level, exploring the endless options and the possibilities that are out there. 26 episodes of Not Cracking, asking the right question, bringing mind-opening knowledge and ideas. Personally, as a PhD student, I learned so much about the different careers for scientists that I didn't even know existed. With Lena, great laughter and <laughs> offers deep voice. Yeah, I just love listening to you. So to celebrate um, Academia First Birthday, I'm going to change seats with you guys. And I will be asking you all different questions, including some questions from the listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So before we dive into the question, I want to invite everyone to join the Macademia group. It's a really cool group um, on Facebook. It is a helpful and supporting environment for building career in, um, in the industry for scientists. Also follow um, at Macademia P account on Twitter. So subscribe and rate the podcast on the different apps. And it helps others to join this important conversation as it explores different ways of our science in more than just academia. Before we begin um, with this uh, special questions from your listeners and, um, and from my questions too, uh, I would like to just hear about you, okay? So, Ofer, give me an elevator pitch about your academic journey until today. So can it be the Empire State elevator? <laughs> uh, is this like super 
I don't know, 20, 30 floors? Yes, How many? it's very high. No, I've never been just, there. Just kidding. I, I, I know that because I started my, uh, I started at 17 at high school when nobody really thought that uh, I would get a high school diploma. And I, I did, in Hebrew, we call it Dafka, like in spite of. And um, I wanted to be a biologist because of uh, the cloned sheep, Dolly, that intrigued me. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so I started as a basic scientist in, in, in the academic reserves in the IDF. And my goal then was to uh, retire uh, uh, a lieutenant colonel and lead the scientific discovery in the, uh, in the army. Now that shattered into a million pieces. And I fell in love in engineering and uh, entrepreneurship. So I did. Um, did You're a traitor. Yes. Going from a, a biology bit. to. A bit, a bit. Uh, so I did a, a, a master's in biotech engineering. And uh, then I wanted to in, increase, like enlarge a bit on the scientific side. So I came back to science and human genomics and I, I had the best mentor ever. And I, I didn't want to be a PI at the beginning of my PhD. It was very, it was somewhat clear to me, but I, I understood that I need to do a PhD to get advanced, like and and don't not have this like m presumably glass ceiling for for masters. I wanted to run my team and not uh, uh, to reach a point that I need to every time to, to answer to someone else. And. And that drove also the search for a postdoc. And today, my goal is to, um, after a year long in, in, in uh, recording those conversation over uh, macadamia, I think that I can have my goal as one word. I want impact. I want impact in my own lifetime. But um, why in the first place you did the postdoc? Because if you knew that you're not going to you know, continue life in academia, why postdoc? You, you could just work somewhere that you can impact. You, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's a great question. And it's not just my decision. So it was, it was even harder because it was a family decision. Like taking on a postdoc position, it means that you get very low pay, specifically where I'm at, the Bay Area. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and if I don't see myself as a PI, why... Why to continue this like four, three, four years route and, and not end up in the ultimate goal of what is a postdoc? And this is where I challenge this. The ultimate goal of a postdoc, especially when you're a foreigner coming from, like, for example, like, um, like me mm -hmm. or like Lena from Israel to the US, is not necessarily be a PI at the end, is to scale up, is to mm -hmm. uh, play in a different culture, do science in a different scale. And and get yourself familiar with uh, you know the the new laws of new laws of the land because the Bay Area is as liberal as it will be. It's different from Israel. It's different from Europe. It's 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 unique, and there are many other places like that uh, from Boston, Seattle, uh, Toronto, Montreal area that are very academic and innovative at the same time. So you can postdoc there and learn on many many other aspects of how to do science and how to do science with an impact. And that was the the goal of that. It was like a sort of a boots of the ground opportunity to to uh, expand, learn, and prepare myself better to to the the jump I want to do. But can can person do that um, the same transition, you know, by relocation to a biotech company? It's 
you're saying to move to another country and, and, and to learn, you know, in a new environment. But if I, for example, finish my PhD and I'll find, um, you know, a position in a biotech company and I'll start this whole process, but straight in a company and get better paid, I guess, or even better, uh, you know, uh, opportunities for my family or things like that. What, so, what, what the academia gives you, you know? So definitely, yes. Okay. So definitely, yes. But now there are a lot of, uh, a lot of aspects to those, to this question. And, but definitely, yes. That, and, and everyone should, and we keep iterating that everyone should map out their own values what they want to achieve, how soon they want to achieve it, and if the if a specific route will uh, support it at like ninety percent of it, seventy percent of it, really have like a metrics to to measure your decision to take a, a better decision. Uh, for us, for me and for my wife, that was the that was the most optimal way to go. Given all our restrictions, we're not we're foreigners. We didn't have uh, any other uh, in on working staying here at the US. And um, so that fit uh, fit best. There were other options on the table and uh, it was really, it was a touch and go until like two months before we left uh, Israel. We knew we were living, we we're not really sure where, it was between Germany and San Francisco. I'm, I'm very happy. That I'm so happy you're not in Germany now. <laughs> That wasn't a bad option, and and you can hear the 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 uh, interview with uh, Christian Tidona from Biomedex. That was the option, and that could be a different kind of amazing, but really a different kind. Mm-hmm. And 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 one more point about your question is that there is you don't you don't have to do either this or that. There are a lot of grades in the middle. There are like postdoc mm-hmm. in the industry, which allows you to be scientifically free, but learn industry and big pharma and mm-hmm. um we brought a couple of uh, a- examples like that along the way and and this is a great option and i cannot yeah maybe we should bring some postdocs that went to um to industry and we we know a few examples that are super happy about it and are really sort of enjoying both worlds they they have better pay <laughs> better salary um they have they do fantastic science but they also learn the insides of uh the industry so it's a it's if you can find something that's relevant it's a it's a really cool uh way to go forward yeah i think it's uh, enjoying uh, really like both worlds and you know uh getting uh, more money which is actually really cool um so lena what about you i hear yeah, that you're you stuck you were you know, postdoc, and uh, I was actually surprised because uh, for me, uh, Lena is uh, the school researcher who did her PhD in uh, in Cambridge, which is wow. And then she moved to, to and, and I know that um, you go, you went to maternity leave, and I was like, okay, you're going back, right? So no, nope, not going back. Yeah, well, I um, I started in Israel uh, doing a neuroimmunology in master's um, at Weizmann Institute. Um, and then um, I was sort of planning to move forward for a PhD, but then my husband got an offer for an MBA at Harvard. And um, so I obviously knew he's his, um, trying to get in, but I, I always, I'm always in denial. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> When the offer came in, I, I couldn't say no. I couldn't um, 
Like I just I couldn't say no. So we moved. So I spent about a year and a half working uh, at MIT doing um, induced pluripotent stem cell research. And then um, when we needed as a research to, assistant, like a technician, yeah, like a technician, I was working with uh, Yossi Bouganim, who now moved on to uh, open a lab in Israel. And um, it goes back to the story of networking. Um, I couldn't have done it without it. I, I spoke with a friend that moved, that introduced me to a friend, that introduced me to Yossi, that sort of talked with me and then said to his PI, sort of, you know, let's chat. Um, so, yeah, and then um, when uh, we were sort of thinking of what to do next, uh, I think that's the challenge of sort of having a career, dual careers. Um, I really wanted to move back to Israel, but my husband was very adamant that that's sort of, sort of as, if, as if throwing away the, the business, um, the MBA. So we found a middle ground in, in London. And uh, we moved to London. I did a PhD in Cambridge in stem cell biology and epigenetics and in development. And uh, that was a really challenging time. I, um, everyone I asked, what, what should I do in, in, in England and uh, London or Cambridge? Everyone recommended the same lab, uh, Zim Sarani's lab, where I did my PhD. And, um, and really recommended highly Cambridge uh, itself. And my husband, um, the job that he found was a really amazing opportunity in London. So for a really long time, we did, I didn't know what to do. I got accepted to programs in London and Cambridge. But since all the recommendations pointed to one direction, uh, we found this uh, crazy arrangement where uh, we lived in London and I commuted to Cambridge uh, each day, sometimes six days a week. And, um, and that's the way I did most of my PhD. And... Um, then towards the end, he finally quit his job and started his startup, which really allowed us to move to Cambridge and enjoy Cambridge for what it was really recommended for all the sort of very hectic um, social life and um, and all the sort of, uh, you know, um, talks and sort of meeting the people. Uh, but that was really towards the end. And then um, we moved again. So the startup uh, that he founded, uh, he founded with another friend, and they are also a couple with a business guy and a, and a researcher. And um, and they and they sort of and we all sort <laughs> of as, as a large group decided um, the Bear is the right place for everyone to to continue their journey together. So uh, we moved here, and uh, he continued to work on his startup, and I uh, started a postdoc at uh, Stanford. Um, and, um, Ofer mentioned that he sort of, after this year, he can sort of summarize it into impact. I think I was always driven by sort of the impact. I remember, um, I think it was like a second week in Stanford and they have this workshop for, for postdocs that start and sort of that they should plan their career, plan their postdoc, what they want to achieve, uh, what they want to learn, what they want to do. And you have this sort of very guided steps that you're doing. And I was following the steps and everyone were following the steps. And um, at the end, people started to present what they sort of came up with. And uh, everyone presented like they want to publish, they want to get connections, they want to um, sort of build their network, they want to sort of be prepared for the next step. And I was <laughs> at my page and I was like, I want to understand autism I want to sort of um, you know bring some new knowledge I want to sort of find some uh, sort of new avenues understand why treatments are working 
And um, I really realized I'm at a different point from everyone else where I think about the research driving my career and they think about their career driving everything else. And um, so that was just uh, an interesting point towards uh, in the beginning. And then, um, you know, we're probably going to go back to it, but COVID <laughs> hit at some point and um, all of my sort of research plans, everything about it just didn't make sense anymore. I was basing my project on a clinical study that was halted. Mm -hmm. um, baby was coming. So there was everything uh, around it that just didn't make sense to continue on um, doing this project. And uh, by this time, I'm on one hand already sort of a little bit exhausted with, with academia, but on the other hand, have learned so much that if I'm really driven by impact, it just doesn't make sense to, to stay in academia anymore. Um, I think if anyone uh, really listened to all the episodes uh, of Macademia, you can see that the amount of immediate impact where people can see in front of their eyes how what they're doing is improving other people's lives. Um, I think it's so much straightforward that um, I'm sure that whatever my next step will be, um, the, the part of impact is going to be important. And, um, and I, I don't have any doubts anymore that you can do it uh, outside of academia as well. Um, you can do great things. Um, I, I, I'm starting to learn that um, bringing new knowledge and changing protocols and, and you know, um, changing life, it's actually sometimes not in academia because when you have a strong uh, research institute that actually has an impact on, um, you know, uh, on the national level, I'm learning that you can work in and in, in change different um, perspective of uh, the government that's going to give money to some, you know, good because of your research. So this is something new for me too, that in order to, to change the world, in order to actually do something in, in, a, in a global scale, not like, okay, publish a paper, well done, blah, 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 but you can actually do change via research not necessarily in academia. And this is uh, actually new for me because I'm also like you guys, I'm looking for doing some something that changed the world for better in, in different maybe scales, but not going to invent the next uh, you know, uh, medicine for cancer. But <laughs> um, I do want to find the change. This is what bugs me daily when I'm doing my research. So it's actually really nice for me to hear both of you saying that because I feel less lonely now is my feelings. Um, so maybe in the future, I'll ask you more personal questions. But I want to ask you, um, if you look you know, back on the last 10 years, probably seems like a lot after COVID, but what would you do differently? So I think um, if I think about myself personally, I really switched um, themes a lot. So I did neurobiology, then I did um, reprogramming, then I did uh, genetics and epigenetics, and I moved to translational research. I really switched a lot. And um, I think that on one hand sort of, you know, opens me up to a lot of sort of interesting spheres and things sort of uh, fields of research and allows me to make sometimes connections that others uh, cannot. Uh, but on the other hand, I feel like I didn't specialize enough on something. Um, and I think that's um, 
something that's worth considering when you're planning your career is that you need to find those niches that you're very, very, like you're the expert about. Um, and that will make your next step always easier. Um, now that I think, for example, uh, of my own next step in, uh, if I join the industry, um, I think that broad perspective sort of makes me more suitable for specific niches. For example, venture capital, where you look at uh, different um, companies uh, in a very high pace and you need to have background on different things. But if I am interested to go and find a, like a scientist position, I'm not sure I have the sort of the breadth of knowledge that would allow me to be the expert on something um, in, in the biotech industry. So I think that's something that I would sort of reconsider thinking back. Um, and also, as I mentioned, um, this commute in from London to Cambridge, that was a really a drag. And um, actually, someone told me before I started that this is a crazy plan and that I should <laughs> reconsider. Um, and I was determined to find a way for us to both go to the the best places we could. And uh, we've we came up with this plan, which, you know, it worked, but uh, made my life quite quite difficult. So I would definitely advise against uh, commuting two hours to your workplace, wherever you are. <laughs> I have a following question about the specializing thing. So I know that many people are um, scared to change um, like I did for my, in the master's. I did something totally different and I, I, I started a no more um, basic and, and, and lab work now. And, and like, is it too late to start specializing in, you know, in your PhD, in your postdoc? Because um, if you want to to go deeper in one niche, you need to start from master's maybe. So maybe for some people it's too late. I think it's never too late. And it's it's important to think about your next step and what you're going. I think for me, you know, PhD is, is a long time. You can specialize in whatever you choose. Um but for me, again, I was sort of driven by impact. So I had this sort of something I wanted uh, to understand. So I approached it from different directions. So I learned a little bit of methods, like in doing different things. But it just, it. I, I think it's no, it's, I don't think it's ever too late. I have a friend that actually did two postdocs and then she realized she wants to move to industry and she, she realized that she still has a gap that she wants to fill in. And she went to another postdoc, uh, learned very cool techniques that are very, very useful and needed in the industry. And that was her sort of stepping in stone. So you can always learn and specialize if you know that this is what you want to do. Yes. Yeah, so specializing is, is, is a, is a very valid point. And, and it, again, it's never too late. And specialization in, in an area doesn't mean that you spend years in it. It could be one course away or a couple of couple of uh, uh, hours a week of internship away. And and you're, you're far more along than what you've started and most people are. And uh, all of, like most of our listeners are academics. So you already have a very, very distinct uh, speci speciality is the fact that you uh, a very, very good learner and researcher. So what is to learn another skill? I, I'm always, I tell my kids and my, my older son, I can't do everything on the fly, but I can try and learn everything. We see how it comes out at the end, but 
<laughs> but that's exactly like specializing in something. So like do not deter, but ask the right question. Don't don't waste your time. And if we're going back to the 10 years, I think uh, I wasted my time on a couple of ventures and um, there were there were cool and I, I didn't stop to ask, do I really want to do that? Does does that really get me somewhere? The if if I would spend a bit more time before engaging, probably the answer would be no. Um, it was very a lot of fun, and it was the long route to understand that I don't want to do that. I, I'll give a specific example. Um, I joined a small like small startup that did, that wanted to do online courses in Hebrew at a very, very, very high scale and like very, very high um, quality of production, quality of material. And it was supposed to be um, like a substitute, like online substitute in Hebrew for basic courses in university, for the basic yeah. courses in, in mathematics and in, in economics. And, and, and I was in charge of biology, basically. It was so much fun and I love to teach, but I don't want, I, at the end, I understood that it takes so much time and I, it was while I doing my PhD uh, in Tel Aviv, uh, the recording was in Haifa, which is an hour and a half away. Uh, spent nights there. It was, it was fun, but after a, after a long couple of months, I understood that it doesn't take me anywhere, and it takes so much time, so much time, to prepare, to to record, to uh, edit, and everything. And it's not my forte. It's not what I want to do at the end. And so I stopped. I should have stopped earlier. I should have stopped at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. But that was, uh, I regret it and I, I cherish this because at that point I understood, okay, exactly as I said before, I have to ask myself the questions of what are my values, what I want to do at the end of this PhD, and um, like what I want to do when I grow up and never grow up, but uh, <laughs> but what I want to do when I grow up. And if this serves the immediate goal, the overreaching goal, and um, what is my exit strategy on that? And, and, and that connects again to your first question about postdoc. And that was yeah. the postdoc because of this complexity and the, effect of this it was actually a year-long exploration self-exploration process and a mutual exploration process okay and yeah um it's really important advice because i as a second year phd i see it around that a lot of people have uh, you know different opportunities i go to this um uh, you know a, a different uh, startup group or innovation where uh, all this cool hackathons and stuff and, and and it's really hard to say no and i think what maybe we want to you know pass on that before you do anything um ask yourself as you said how it's um helping my goals because you know for example this uh, this uh i said a year you couldn't uh you couldn't know it unless you try it but you actually maybe could do a lot of other cool you know research instead but um, for us, sometimes we, we, we say yes. And then after a couple of months, we say, oh my God, I just lost three months. That's not really helping for 
my actual goal. So I'm I'm trying to to, to say uh, for us like this this uh, in, your advice in the, in the short like before you take any cool opportunity like wow to this uh, recording these courses. The question is how it's um, helping my actual goal. Like yes, how it's contribute to your PhD. And, and it's not necessarily your PhD because because you you're yes. not going to PhD for forever. You're going to end. No? It, there is an end date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, Serena, there is an end date. <laughs> and at the end, there are balloons and and a huge party, and then it ends. And afterwards, really? yeah. And afterwards, you have your 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 personal goals, and, and that's exactly this. Like, how does it serve that? How like how many steps that it gets me closer to how I pictured like offer in like offer and offer PhD or stay in a PhD. How does it get me closer yeah. to that uh, image at the end? And uh, that like it's. But did you did you post new when you you were a PhD student? Did, can, now you're looking back and you say yes, I knew it. But if I asked you, Lena, in Cambridge, it's a beautiful scenery. Did you did I knew that I want to do this like. You had like a goal that you knew because I'm not sure I have a specific goal. Like I have a general idea, but when you were a PhD student, you didn't really know what your name is. Like, what do you do? Oh my God. Like, uh, no, I was so busy. I had, uh, I had a baby. My son was, uh, when I started the PhD, he was four and a half months old. And uh, as I said, we lived in London. <laughs> so I had very limited time. Um, so I just, I stayed very focused on the PhD. I didn't have time for anything else. Um, and and I didn't I didn't do any side projects. I didn't do any volunteering. I didn't do anything um, throughout most of my PhD. I was very um, and 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 as I offer said, I didn't think about, you know, like I, I I always said I'm considering an academic career. I always had doubts whether, you know, whether I'll end up there or not. But my sort of motto was, I'll continue as long as I can, and then we'll see. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that was the best um, way to do it. Uh, there were definitely a lot of opportunities I had to give up on or didn't even consider. Uh, because I didn't have enough time, I would definitely advise, as I said, if I would have saved four hours each day on commuting, maybe I would have had time to you know, to do consulting project or to sort of work with the business school or uh, take opportunities in the um, pharma companies that were sort of coming up. Um, so I didn't. And I and I think, as Offer said, it's important to, to note that it's not that you shouldn't do anything throughout your PhD. You should. You just need to make sure that it aligns with, with, your, um, with your goals. And at these projects, these sort of small detours, they're very important. And sometimes they can completely change your career sort of um, route uh, for the better and you'll, you'll be happy you've done it. Um, but you need to make sure that you're, you're not wasting time as, as Ofer said. Um, so maybe so, setting a goal, maybe this is the first step is. Yeah. Eliminating goals is also very good. Yeah. <laughs> it's also yes, very important. I think it's I, easier. I, I, I can I can pinpoint to a specific time in my PhD very early on. I, I'm gonna start with saying I think I'm I'm the luckiest PhD that I know because I had the best mentor ever. So Professor Karen Avram from Tel Aviv University, she is 
more than a scientific mentor to me till this day. And I remember sitting, we wrote a, a bi-national uh, scientific uh, grant uh, because she took me on uh, to, uh, to her lab to change, to, to bring a new aspect that was never done in the field that she worked on deafness genetics. And we wrote this grant and I am very bad at writing. Okay, I'm very bad at prolonged academic writing. I can write a, a concise paragraph about an idea, but that's it. And she told me like, wow, your, your writing is really bad. And I, and I told her back, wow, this like grant thing, that's really bad also. Like the, the entire notion <laughs> of this is really like, like kind of idiotic because you ask money for stuff that you already done. That's how does it work? And she turned to me and she said, you know what? Those are the rule of the, rules of the game. You wanna you wanna play, you have to abide by the rules at, at some point. Get credit, change the rules. But now you have to play by the rules. And I think that at that point I I realized, okay, I have to finish to change the rules, and I don't want to change the rules, but I have to finish to get somewhere else. And uh, I set. I said myself as uh, like, it was very early on as uh, early, like early first year, by the way, till today, three years into the postdoc, this is the only grant I got, okay? Wow. At that point, so I realized that it's not for me and I'm not gonna do this kind of uh, uh, money raising. And one thing I wasted time on with this cool venture that I hopped in, I, I got to know great people, but I wasted time on learning how other aspects of fundraising in non-academic ventures work. And and I, I got schooled on that later on, like in the real world, the real world, but I could have I could have uh, uh learned uh, better. So at that point I want to ask you something that I feel that people think, and maybe I did sometimes, that leaving the academic world for the industry, you know, considered to be a failure. Like, okay, you're not good enough to be, you know, a PI or famous researcher, so you're going to work. If if we do something with macademia, I think this is this is what we need to change with macademia. Is sort of, or you know, th this this whole concept is is so wrong that. Um, and we are. I think it's not. It's not by uh, a coincidence that that many of us think that 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 uh, leaving academia is a failure. If you didn't succeed to to get an academic position, is a failure. I think it's sort of built in into, into the system. And I think this is what we're really trying to change with academia is that it's just a different career choice. And sometimes that different career choice is better for yourself, it's better for your family, it's better for the world, it's it's better for patients. It's, you know, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't stay in academia, right? Academia is very important. Basic research is critical for our science to move forward. There are so many important things that are, are, are based on basic research that has done, you know, has been done 20 years ago and no one knew to which direction it's going. So academic basic research is critical and it's important and it should, should stay. And people that are interested in it and sort of care about it, they should go to this route. But all other routes are are so important. We can see now if we didn't have, you know, Moderna and, and BioNTech and Pfizer, 
we wouldn't survive this. Uh, you know, it took a year. Israel already free of, of almost free of, of the virus after just one year, thanks to, to these companies. And, it's, and they couldn't have done it without PhDs, right? They couldn't have succeeded to, to raise these companies, to, to build these ideas, to build this technology without having PhDs working for them. So does anyone think that sort of these people failed in their careers? Like, it's, it's crazy that we, we need to, to even talk about it, but we do because it's, it's still in there. I think it's sort of built into the system that because as a young PhD student, you're, you, know, you know what your PIs do. A lot of the times you would follow like past uh, students or postdocs, you know where they went, sort of the labs that they opened, you sort of stay in this niche of uh, this sort of, you know, the progeny that sort of builds around your PI, you look at others. And, but those that sort of continued on to the industry, they sort of, you know, they stay behind, sort of outside of this group and and you don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Exactly, they disappear. So you don't know what you're missing. And and I think if, if Macademia succeeds to do that, to open people's eyes and to have that not as a failure, but just as a just as a choice, a choice that fits better their aspirations, their goals, um, we have to stop looking at it as a failure because I think that builds in back into having this very toxic environments in academia. Because if the only way to succeed is to stay in academia, and the only way to succeed in academia is have very good relationship with your PI. And the way to have good relationship with your PI is sometimes very challenging with, with, with depending on just one or two per specific people. It really gives so much power to these PIs that if it's the wrong person, he really uses that for a very toxic environment. So we need to break it not in or not just for making the industry better, but also for making academia better, to 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 break this cycle of dependence and 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 <laughs> a lot of the time yes. misery. We we have to be open about it. A lot of the times, even some some guests that we have, you know, we didn't say it openly in, in the episode, but a lot of the time the switch for some of those people happened because the environment that they were in in the labs were not good for them. And they had to to leave and they, they had to make this a lot of the time we say this difficult decision of leaving academia and switching to industry. But if we don't make it so difficult for people to leave, I think it makes the academia better. And it makes, um, yeah, makes everyone's life better. <laughs> On that question, I will ask you a question, Serena. If you have, if you have a severe headache, okay, that doesn't go away. Would you go to a dermatologist and ask for advice? No, right? You look for someone who is good at the problem you're facing in order to get advice. And PIs are amazing. They know they're yeah. they're the best in their field. Okay, really. And and sometimes, sometimes, and just below I, them. I met PIs that are there by mistake. I like, I will I will I will give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, and, and below them in the rank are you guys. Okay. You're the, and, and I will be strict on, on the PhD students. You're second best in the world on that. Okay. Usually not. Usually you're the best. Wow. But, but. 
okay, but now you want to, now you want to um, get advice on something else. How, how is it to be like a scientific editor? How is it to be a scientific communication uh, officer, a medical liaison, uh, an entrepreneur, a scientist in industry? Just ask your PI, have you ever worked in a GLP or a clinical uh, grade lab? If the answer is no, then, then that's it. From that point on, if he, every opinion he has about this career option that he never experienced, okay, or she never experienced, it just become irrelevant. So it's not just asking the right question, it's asking the right person, okay? And again, I will circle back to Professor Avram, which was very, very, she's the best in her field. She's a politician. She's involved in every community and every committee, scientific community in deafness, hearing loss, whatever in the world, okay? Yeah. I sat in her office and I said, I don't want to be a PI, but I don't know what to be else. What, how is it to be like a scientist in the industry. And she said, I don't know, so I can't really tell you, but take this number and call this this person. She, she will talk to you or he will talk to you. And, um, and a funny story from, from like, uh, um, I talked to Jeremy Levine, who was the CEO of Teva about, should I do a postdoc or not? The freaking CEO of Teva I had wow. like advised me just on a phone call, like, should I be a postdoc or not? And and I sat down with a uh, a, a consultant to to realize how how is the like science how scientific move how scientists moves to the U.S. how it translates when I go from Israel to the U.S. and back. And that was like three hours and some follow ups later, and 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 you then you didn't get this answer like Lifting Academy is a failure because it's not. They did not relate to academia because they're not academics. They're they're something yeah. else. So they they were very focused on their field. So ask the right question, questions and or ask a question that is relevant for you, but ask the right people. Okay. So it's it's funny, but um, what you said it, it made me compare it to the religious world. And you in the religious world, it's the best, and you're doing and everything outside. Is not good for you, and, and 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 if you, you know, by mistake you get to the outside, yeah, you have to fail. And I'm like, wait, I already, I've been there. I, I heard this kind of talks about outside, it's for failing, you know, fail it. And 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 if you go there, yeah, it's happening. But now I realize the whole idea is like, go outside, ask the right question, look, maybe you'll find it's amazing, you know, and you just need to to go there and. And, and, and in the environment I'm in, nobody even talks about it. It's like, yeah, you, you need to be academic, you need to, to get more papers, blah, 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 you know, the whole um, agenda. And now I'm thinking about it, why there isn't opportunity to do a PhD, for example, in Teva. I don't know, maybe we will open a new uh, field of doing PhD in, in the industry. Yeah, in Cambridge, you can do a PhD in, in Pfizer. Yeah. So ah, there, wow. there are definitely opportunities like that around the world because, you know, I, I, I don't know, it, maybe because, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't a possibility. There wasn't basic research or some research yeah. in, in the industry. But now, well, specifically in biology, like I, I guess in other fields, definitely there was. Um, but now there is so much research going on. There's so many interesting projects around the world in different pharma and biotech companies that... Um, 
it's definitely an option. And it should it's be in Tev as well. <laughs> yeah, so I hope um, the right people uh, hear this, uh, you know, this uh, requirement of uh, opening a PhD in a different uh, biotech company or, I don't know, there is probably yeah. more stuff. When we I were talking with uh, Natalie Giochana, uh, episode 16, she she talked a lot about it, how she sees the, the research world sort of collaborating between the academia and industry and how she wants to have uh, to guide PhD students in her uh, labs in um, Minovia, uh, I think it's it's definitely should should be an opportunity, mm-hmm. and and I would go do another PhD with her. I, yeah. I'd do anything for her. <laughs> I, I definitely uh, agree that if I had the opportunity to choose between a PhD in some nice, comfy biotech lab or uh, uh, you know uh, in Israel, everything you want to buy and ask for, you know, can we buy this uh, assay? And you get like, no, too expensive. And you realize like, sh- I-, I should do some, you know, I should go to the bi- biotech company, have lots of money, and get whatever you want. This is how I imagine it. So yeah, but but the I'm main sure difference. That's how it is. <laughs> I think the main difference is that the fact that you can ask the same question: Can I buy this assay? But in academia, can I buy this assay? That's cool. That's it. And yeah, we, we do or do not have the fund for this. In industry, as a, even as a PhD student, you will, can I buy this essay? I need this to do this and that. And the result will support the mission of this entire team and take us this amount forward. It makes you, it makes you a better advocate for your science. And that's like a main thing that you, that people are, are, I feel as myself as well. I'm lacking when I'm talking and I do a lot of like this mental switching like through the day, like a couple of, through, couple of times through the day between company science and academic science. It is, we're lacking on that, on like, this is the goal, this is the experiment, this is the result, and this is how far we're going to get from here to here using a very precise amount of money. It's justification yeah. of how much money. And uh, we talked about this uh, in one of the earliest uh, uh, interviews with... Um, Efrat Tal, who was a product manager, uh, uh, who was a, um, a project manager at the time, and she advanced from that, but and also Ori Levitan, that you have to put your science in the right context, and then you can do a lot of a lot of things. If it's in the right context and convincing enough, go with it. Be it, it, so it's another skill it, to learn. Yeah, you can even call it like scientific freedom at some point. Okay, mm. as long as you can you can advocate for this correctly. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it to advocate my ideas and not getting like, no, it's like super freaking expensive. We won't buy it for you, but I need to okay. find the reason why should I? Me too. I, I can share I can share from the last couple of days. So we are thinking of an idea and spinning out something from our lab currently. So not going into the scientific details, but when I talk to one of the latest very, very important personal additions to the team. And I presented mm-hmm. him on the fly, really. He, he just called me and on the fly, I presented the, the, the basic science that we have behind the idea that all, everything, all the data that we accumulate thus far. I made a very, very bad job at this because I was very, I was not prepared. I was all over the place, okay? Two days later, just before this, this conversation, we met all the team together again. I had the time to reflect, to understand exactly how I do that, how he, I take his questions and his caveats that he posed. And I, I say, this is the mission. This is what we have. And this is the experiments we need to do in order to get closer to the mission. And 
and I and I think that the later meeting was much more, uh, much more, much better for all of us. To my confidence, to everyone else's confidence in the mission, and to his confidence in us and the data, he's the latest addition. He is he's very novice on on the technology we developed, and but he felt at the end it was that he felt much more confident. And it's again putting this advocating correctly, advocating your science correctly. So we're always learning. You're never perfect in in that. Okay, it's always a learning curve, and it's fun because. You always get to, you always Sometimes. meet someone else Sometimes that schools you. Huh? Wow, it's hard. That's that's hard. I felt like, I felt crap for the entire, I was on a high in the morning and a low at the evening. And, and that was, that was shitty. Like, I don't know. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, I call it roller coaster days. It's, it's definitely an emotional roller coaster. It's like. It's definitely an emotional roller coaster and and um and it's not like this is like entrepreneurship okay which is a, a very extreme non-academic uh, uh, route yeah. and um but but those skills the things that we can work on and um Lena mentioned the internship in this in tech transfer that you could could have done amazing mm-hmm. amazing opportunity you can see both sides of the of both sides of the table on that. And, and yes, again, a lot of options to, to support that, but really we're always learning. You're, you're, you're always on a learning curve. I, at least I aspire to be always in the learning yeah. curve. What I actually like the most in academia or research world, that it's like, and it's, there is no end to learn new things or discover no, even a new side about you and about how you think and work, which is, I like. I really enjoy it, even if it's so hard. Um, so I want to take you to maybe a darker place for, um, you know, ask you about how guys um, COVID-19 impact your personal life and your, you know, your podcast. And I, I, you started before before COVID started, or your, right? So we started before um there's a funny story behind it uh so we both um volunteer for science abroad and um offer got a an email saying that the president of uh ben gurion university is coming to visit uh this area and um whether he would host an event for 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 our friends in science abroad so he says you know yes sure i'll, I'll organize an event uh, but also, I have a podcast, and uh, I'd like to interview you for your for um, sort of about you know about academia, about sort of different career paths. And he sees me sort of like um, we obviously talked a little bit about it before, but we sort of neglected that idea until that email. Uh, and I was like calling him afterwards, like, "What are you doing? We don't have a podcast." And he's like, "Yes, we do." <laughs> it's like. No, 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 we, do, we don't have a, we have an idea of a podcast, but we don't have a podcast. And he's like, no, no, we, we have a podcast. We have a great idea. It's going to, it's going to be fine. Don't tell him anything. <laughs> and uh, eventually he didn't interview the, um, uh, the president, he interviewed the vice president and uh, we got the gear and everything else. Uh, and that was before COVID. And actually it was quite difficult because uh, if you go back and see most of these sort of first episodes of her recorded alone, 
because I, I just I couldn't find the time. It was so difficult to, to sort of to find the time to go and meet. We had actual equipment uh, that we had to sit all in one room. And it meant, you know, commuting to whatever it would be comfortable for the guest and find the time. And and it just it, it you know, it required like half a day uh, to make a one hour um recording of one hour of, of a podcast. So I, I just, I, I actually didn't find the time. And then COVID hit and everything became online and everything became so much easier that I could actually start joining these uh, conversations. And um, and so for, at least from academia, COVID played a, a, a huge role <laughs> in making everything uh, online via Zoom. We can interview people around the world. We have guests from New York and from Germany and from Israel and really from all over the world. And we're not restricted by, you know, who has the time and who can travel. Like not all of it is gone and yeah. and never will probably go back. Like it will be interesting to sit down in one room at some point and, and record it, but we've we didn't so far. Um, so from that point of view, COVID uh, really elevated Macademia. I think it's a really bad time to start a podcast. I heard from people that had a podcast from before uh, COVID that the amount of listening uh, sort yeah. of, you know, plays, uh, it really went down uh, through COVID. People stopped commuting. And I think commuting yes. is a big part uh, in finding the time to listen to a podcast. So I hope that will come back. Um, but it definitely made it possible. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, and we already talked about so how COVID hit my career. <laughs> Macademia. I almost know why you called Macademia, but maybe the listener wants to know. How, how did you come up with this idea? And I think it's just like it was academia. And I looked at like uh, a, a, my wife's in bar, a Mac book. And I said, mm. hey, Mac, academia. That's funny. And it's also a nut. And it's such a hard nut to crack this like transitioning from academia to, to industry. Wow, works great. Uh, but I can say that we actually looked for a really long time of what M is sort of you know, Macademia strike really from the start as a good name. And uh, it yeah. sort of, it had academia, but also a nut and so on. But it always, always bugged me of sort of what does the M stand for? And, and it sort of didn't make sense to me that we don't have an idea of what it is. But I think it took us months, I think up until the second episode, the second um, a series that we mm -hmm. uh, came up with more. And uh, now it fits and we, we love it. <laughs> I, 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 so people ask you, like your guests ask you about this name? No, everyone get it and everyone love it. And ah, it's cool. fun to hear that sort of, you know, academia and, and a hard nut, uh, nut to crack. Um, people <laughs> have sort of a little bit of different variation on it. But um, uh, I think from start, we got quite a few comments about the name and how it, it sits well and, and people like it. It's yours. It's catchy. And, it is uh, catchy. Yeah. It refers to a very uh, refers to the problem, I guess. Uh, I I liked it because it's cool. Like I oh, um, I I don't know if I heard it in your podcast or I saw it, but not cracking and it's uh, really hard and it's cool and it's like and also uh, it's nourishing. I don't know. This is what that came up when I I saw it first and I want to ask you guys about all different uh, aspects. So you both uh, have kids and also COVID and also your careers. And uh, how how come you're like so nice and quiet time now? 
and how it all fits in your life. And uh, Amir asked that, asked this question too, um, I think on Twitter. No, it's actually really hard. Uh, it's actually a part of why we stopped for um, between series one and two is that mm. I had a baby and it was very hard to find time. Maybe you hear her now uh, to find time uh, to where when I have free time sort of uh, offer kids that are a bit older, but still it needs arrangement. And uh, we uh, find ourselves recording at weird hours very early in the morning or very late um, in the evening. And uh, we, we juggle around, a lot around it. Um, but it's, it's so much fun. We enjoy it. We think it's important that we, we try to make the time. Yeah. I try to... So I like to delegate, okay? Um, I cannot do everything by myself. So... As far as keeping quiet, I, um, I got to meet my older son on the mission. So very excited. Yeah, you see, that is like, I have my own podcast. I'm on the internet. Okay. I'm on, he was very excited to show his friends that his father is on the internet and he can see it. And they have like, <laughs> have a million, million, uh, million listeners. I haven't corrected them yet. And billion, billion, million listeners. Uh, yeah. um, and every time we set a date uh, that, it mm-hmm. might get like in the way, like in before bedtime or stuff like just before bedtime or stuff like that. I go to him and I say, listen, we have a recording today. I just need you to be quiet and be as like as as helpful as possible for the mission. Okay. The mission is exposure. He is very into like YouTube and stuff and, and YouTubers and influencers. You want us to be good and, and like influence people? Okay, help me. Don't fight with your brother. Keep quiet and really go to bed at at, at like when you need to, not like two hours later. Okay. And he gets it. It so works. He, it works at, at, it's amazing. It, it works like at sometimes, but I, I think like getting, getting the, the house involved in this is, is a lot of, and, and of course, like my wonderful uh, wife, uh, Inba, which enables that even now she has like, we record and she has her own meetings. And so she took them somewhere. Um, I can say it's the same about my partner who took a dog and like, going so another question that Amir asked and I'm also uh, curious so you both um, grew up in Israel and now you live in the US and don't give a short answer but please tell us what's uh, the future holds Israel and or the US yeah I always say that we left for two years and we're already 10 years here um it's hard. It's difficult. Uh, I, me personally, I see ourselves going back to Israel. We have very, very supportive families. For example, now uh, going back to your previous question, my uh, mother-in-law looks after my uh, baby girl, and um, so we have really, really supportive families, and we love Israel. And I think it's important uh, to grow up there. I want our kids to grow up as Israelis, um, and whatever we do here. Um, to sort of get them connected to what it is to be an Israeli, that it's never going to be the same. So I definitely see us going back. Um, but, you know, a lot of things come into it, sort of my career, my husband's career, his company. Um, a lot of things need to fit into the box in order for us to be able to come sort of, you know, lift ourselves up and go back. Yeah. Um, but I definitely see it happening at some point. So my one of my favorite movies is uh, Cube, if you know that. I actually do. And it's kind of a horror, futuristic movie that uh, there is a 
infinite, almost infinite cube with same shape rooms, and you go from one one room to the other, trying to get yourself out of this maze, and the maze constantly changes. Also, to your question, we we see ourselves in the long run going back. We we both like our life was there, and uh, we build there. We have still a lot of connections, and and one of the impacts I wanna I wanna have is to be part of what happens there as well because I see a lot of potentials there and and I I um I I want to I want to be part of this okay and are you sure guys I'm here in Israel I, I don't know if you know that not everything's so shiny and nice in the Never, US as well it's not shiny anywhere yeah <laughs> and we it, we talked with Christian about Christian Tidona a few episodes ago about his innovation center and sort of how Israel will be a center for for biotech in innovation. It has to be. So, you know, at least from that point of view, that's going to be yeah. amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, when you start thinking about it and sort of digging dip, deeper and, as we say, ask questions, um, it's not shiny anywhere. Definitely yeah. not here. Just, I, I think just finishing the, the cube analogy, I think the, the, yeah. the overall plan is to exit the maze. Okay. But mm. what happens in the in in between? I constantly develop and changes, and every time you are after like you pass one hurdle or one challenge, there's another one presented from a diff completely different angle, completely different aspect. So the overall goal is to exit the maze, and maybe yeah, we see ourselves uh, in Israel. What I can be definite about is. We see ourselves retiring in a villa in Tuscany, okay? From <laughs> now, 36 <laughs> years old to then. And yeah, I'm not obligated to do anything. <laughs> so what I would like to know, um, it's uh, what was the funniest moment in the last year of recording? Um, and each of you needs to give an answer separately. <laughs> I think we had a really funny um, moment a few episodes ago where... Adila, when we interviewed Adila V, I think that episode is not out yet. And he had um, uh, sort of the door opening and the, uh, I think it was a dog coming in. And we just, we couldn't stop laughing. It looked exactly as the episode, uh, as the clip where they had the, if you remember, even before COVID. Yeah, when they had, not the gorilla, they, when they, they had um, a person giving um, a news sort of news reporter mm, yeah. um and uh, his, her, his baby and his yes. wife sort of coming in and sort of he's trying to ignore the whole situation. It was so similar and we just, we couldn't stop laughing. Uh, it was, <laughs> it's very funny. It, it, you know, this is life, especially during COVID where yeah. it's interrupt and dogs interrupt and, um, and that, that's fun. That's, that's part of the game. And so, so I, so one of the funniest moments I recall is that uh, we interviewed the, the wonderful uh, professor Odad Rehavi, and I was very into it. And I was like, I, I prepared, I read all the Schmidt uh, interviews and everything. And then in the intro, okay, I said, we're hosting Professor Gidi Rehavi, which is his father. And he was, he, and I didn't notice. And he was very gracious. And he didn't that. notice. <laughs> yeah, I just continued. And Adad was just like trying to keep his, his face in a straight. Yeah. And then I started to laugh. <laughs> And then I was like, oh it's, my God. Uh, Oded, Oded and uh, uh, so, sorry. And I was like, 
Yeah, it was very, I think it was very. I'm sure you're not the first one. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like Gedicha, I think, is also in Tel Aviv. And he probably gets his father email or vice versa. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Which brings me to a question that I asked you, um, Ofer Izar, I know a famous professor. How, how many times did you receive his emails? Oh, many. Uh, I get a lot of uh, um, uh, co-author, response, uh, co-author emails that uh, for like... For, for meant for him he's in Weizmann Institute I was in Tel Aviv University at the time but I think that the funniest interaction was that people started to tag uh, him or me or the or like the opposite way around over Twitter because <laughs> our Twitter handle is very similar as well so it's either is offer or offer is yeah I think I, I actually think. tagged him uh, yeah. at the begin at the first time I tagged uh, on Twitter. An episode of Macadamia, I think I tagged him yeah. and he's like, and he explained the situation, which I like, was completely very, oblivious about. <laughs> he was, he was amazing about it. Very funny about it. And yeah. uh, so Offer is our Weizmann original Offer is our, okay. Just, yeah. to, just to put it in context, he was there first. He is like huge and he's great in his field. And I love his science, by the way, I read his papers and, and it's amazing. I am, I'm, my full name is Offer Izar Barnea. And the funny thing is that Offer Izar Weizmann is an, uh, a behavior biologist, neurobiologist. Yeah. And Offer Barnea from Tel Aviv University is an is a, uh, engineering professor. And I have a biotech engineering degree and a molecular genetics degree. I'm- yeah, Ibridom of Offer Izar and Offer Barnea. I hope they're listening to it because it's really funny. <laughs> um, so Vered asking, if you had no constraints of money or location, What you, um, would your dream job be? Well, first of all, Verit is a very, very good friend of mine, and I'm happy she's taking part. Um, I think for me, I'm sort of almost lucky that I don't have restraints currently. Well, I have to be here, but uh, now with COVID, I think you're international. I think I really love this sort of intersection with um, science and networking and, um, and innovation. And I think that a lot of innovation comes from sort of having this sort of unique connections between people and people thinking together. So I'm still working it out, but I think um, building these sort of networks that uh, innovate together and, and sort of facilitate innovation um, is something very interesting. And I, and I see myself uh, moving into these directions at some point. I think if I wouldn't have any money constraint, my dream job would be to open a different school for like elementary school. It, it would be more science, science oriented or engineering oriented and, and really throw out all this like old school way of learning and classrooms and really, and I'm not the best at this, but really open, opening up meanings, hiring the like people that I, I, I love to see. I love to sh- see how they teach and, and start at a very young age. And, and I think that this is a good way to get both like young adults and, and like the next generation more involved. And, and again, asking the right questions The right people as we said it's something that we yeah. we're afraid of because we're not nobody nobody really puts this as a as a life skill early on um so that's half and the other half will I, I want to open my dream job will be opening a, a, a better science consulting uh, company the aim is to that like labs will 
call us and say, listen, we have this kind of problem. We need an expert team and or we need to spin out the lab somewhere. We need to to innovate the lab within the academic constraints. And uh, the, the idea is to be to bring like professionals from outside of academia and help again, bring this like notion of a teamwork, uh, uh, how you, like we talked about, how you define a goal and really put the increments yeah. uh, into it and, and really be more efficient. So basically you want to take macadamia to actual work, to do the actual bridge, like, yeah, that that is, yeah, at various ages. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because someone asked me in this meeting and I said, if I had a million dollars, I can open a lab, I can take a lot of students and buy a lot of equipment. And someone said, you know that, in one million, you can't do anything, right? Like yeah. if you buy a fax machine and you have it as a student, that's it, your money is gone. I'm like, yeah, uh, it's really cool. Uh, you guys, uh, it's it's inspiring. I, you know, I, I listen to your podcast and then I listen to you guys and, and actually you gave me so much uh, just uh, from your personal life, personal perspectives. And, and I, I, I'm so happy it's going to be on recording because I wanted to write everything. I said, ah, okay, I'm going to listen to it on, <laughs> on and then I'll have it. I don't need to write it down. Um, so I want to ask you so, so many questions here. Um, 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 but uh, we don't have a lot of time. So, um, have you ever have uh, had a, a disagreement between you guys, and how did you solve this? You know, disagreement. Yeah, I don't think we had. I think one time we couldn't decide. Like we don't often disagree, but we sometimes we can't decide. So, for example, we couldn't decide on the cover picture for um, Academia. So we went to the group and it was really fun to see everyone's perspectives and uh, inputs. We had the white, black and white and the color pictures. So I think that's what we do. Like if we're, if we're not sure about something, because if one, someone is sure, then it's fine. Like if, we, if, if one of us has the answer, we don't need to look uh, elsewhere. But if we're not sure, then we would come to the group. And, and we love when people sort of, um, you know, participate and give feedback and um, weigh in on, on, on different decisions, like on that picture. Uh, because we sometimes don't know, like we do what we think is best and we really try to sort of, you know, help people think about these things and sort of um, reconsider how they design their careers and, and sort of think about their careers. Uh, but, you know, there are many ways to do it. And as I said in, in one of the posts lately is that uh, we are reconsidering everything all like once in a while. And now it's sort of the time where we're really thinking of, are, are we, like, we know our goal. We're not sure if we're, we're succeeding in, in, you know, bringing our goal. So we're, we always source for feedback and trying to figure out um, if what we, if we're really succeeding in making our goal and whether there are other ways that we didn't consider that there are, you know, different options or different ways to approach it that we didn't consider yet. And we're trying to improve and, and make it better. Definitely. Well, you know, I, I personally think that you doing so much like uh, each episode bringing uh, new ideas and, and and new progress you see the progress from each you know uh, episode and each um, uh, season from season mm -hmm. one to two I think me and Lena we're not they're not arguments because we're both very comfortable in saying I know best on that issue mm -hmm. or I don't know 
something about it. We're very comfortable in the, the conversation. So there are many times that I, I just tell Lena, I have no idea. It's like, you, you're, you're much better. Like a lot of like the um, uh, social media and stuff like that. Like Lena is the like whiz and in in that element i i didn't have twitter <laughs> again and there are other aspects that that like i can do i can do better and 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 then we divided very it was divided very clearly at, at the beginning it might be easier because we're just two uh, it might be good because like both our personalities work work together lena doesn't like we disagree about the use of adjectives okay is ex- exaggerating, of course, but yeah, it is fun. It is fun. I want to ask you, um, is there a special guest that are alive that you are dreaming to in- uh, inviting? It's going to be someone, you know. Hmm. I think Aviv Regev. At some point, we, we have to invite her. Oh, that's a great uh, one. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're, like, we're, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I feel alive, like we so. need to be established enough uh, to, to invite her. Uh, but she did this move, which is, uh, you know, she has such an established lab at, at uh, MIT yeah. and um, she had everything going for her. And all of a <laughs> sudden to sort of come and, and start this new chapter, uh, moving to industry. It's so, really uh, inspiring. If you hear that. <laughs> I think you should uh, write an email because you are uh, quite famous now, you know, um, <laughs> Having two seasons, 26 episodes, and then, and I think uh, you should try because, um, you know, it's yeah. uh, a million, yeah. no, a million listeners. Uh, I mean, yeah. if you hear that, <laughs> and, as, as you, yeah, <laughs> at least. Um, so, a, a lot of the question you already answered. So, I, I think I, uh, I would like to say, uh, you know, some uh, nice celebration, happy birthday wishes. So, I'll start with uh, Natalie. Ivgi Ohana from the episode 16. So she said, thank you, Macademia, for the wonderful uh, service uh, to the academic community. Um, and may you continue to bring innovation, inspiration, and cool ideas um, to the attention and great scientists for many years to come. Uh, in a huge appreciation to your contribution, love, Natalie. King Stas from episode 19 sent King Grant's wonderful achievement. I wish you a um, wonderful celebration. The Odeda Chaviks also congratulates you too. And Dina Rubenstein from episode 23 also joins to the celebration. Dear Lena and Offer, congratulations on one year of your wonderful Macademia podcast. I hope you'll continue many more years in this important and informative venue, bringing both professional and personal career aspects of various researchers. Happy one year birthday! from episode 14. Congratulations, Macadamia, on your one-year anniversary, and kudos to you for all that you're doing to support science trainees as they embark and plan for their future careers. Uh, I gave you a lot of advice in my podcast, so I'm not sure what advice I could add, but I guess I would say, don't worry about networking, just get involved in something. Volunteer on a committee, work with other people on a project, Your relationships come from the most unlikely places and being involved in something that you care about is the best way to meet people and broaden your network. Okay, and I would like to personally thank you 
guys uh, for dedicating your precious time um, to us young scientists because I think uh, your listeners are probably scientists either in the beginning of uh, postdoc, beginning of uh, their academic uh, route and, and, and looking for um, advices at how I got to listen to the podcast. So thank you for the podcast and I'm sure um, many people like me find a new opportunity is open up for different ideas. And I wish for another amazing uh, podcast a year with great moments and guests. Um, it was so much fun. Again, thank you for this opportunity. Um, and I loved learning more about you guys. I think you should do it more. You have so much to say, especially that you learned from all your guests and, 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 and you can you can share this ideas with us. And I think one hour is not enough. And I hope um, your listeners also enjoy this episode as much as, as much as I did. Thank you for joining us. It was your idea and uh, we loved um, this, um, this opportunity. So thank you for your time as well. It's not, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Estherina. You, you really make it wor- worthwhile, really. Thank you.